Amen. Amen. I want to share my heart with you here a little bit this morning, uh, just on some new things that are kind of going on in the church. And if I could just kind of speak a little bit openly before we get into our message here this morning. Uh, last, last week, we talked um, about what newness that is able to be done in a new year. We all set our goals. We all set um, our agendas for the whole year. And nothing's different in the life of a pastor of a church. A new year brings new opportunities for months. I've been seeking the heart of God. And the heart that I've been really seeking God for <clears throat> is the ability for us to have a true connection with the Spirit of God in our church. That when we walk into this place, that we sense the presence of a mighty powerful God. And so what we've decided to do is we've decided to try a new format. Now many of you who are members here, you're used to a certain format that we do worship, announcements, all of these different things. And my heart said, God, I want to just get to a place where when we gather together as a group of people in search of a mighty God, that nothing will get in the way of that. Many of us know that, that there's a very famous statement out there, right? It says insanity is what? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I believe Einstein quoted that. We do the same thing, but I think there's something actually a little bit worse than doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result when it comes to insanity. I think that's worse is not realize that you're walking insanity. You're just kind of doing the same thing over, and you don't realize that you are walking in this kind of spirit of insanity. And so for me, I said, God, I want to come. I just want to bring everything before you, <clears throat> and I want to allow you to move in a powerful way. And part of that for me is this, is seeing our church respond to the presence of God. Seeing our church be active in response to the presence of God. And so with the new format, what I wanted to do was to allow an opportunity for people at the end to respond. And you're going to get that opportunity this morning. Because what we're really believing, there are pockets of people in our church who are believing for revival. You hear what I'm saying, church? There are pockets in what's happening. i got to tell you this from the spiritual realm. There are many people who are coming who have no connection to one another, who are praying the same prayers, and who are seeing the same things in the Spirit. They're seeing that we as a church are on the precipice of a breakthrough. They're seeing visions that we are on a true breakthrough. And so when we start hearing those things, I'm very sensitive in my spirit to pay attention to those things and to say, okay, God, what is our responsibility? What is our job to make sure that we create a format that allows to do that? And so my heart was to say this. I want to give people an opportunity to respond and have some worship at the end to see what the Spirit will do after the Word is being brought. Now, if you're visiting here for the first time, we want to put our best foot forward. <clears throat> at the end of the service, you're going to be greeted as you exit. And if you want information on our church, they're going to have information bags for you to find out more about our church. But one thing we encourage everybody to do, if you have any questions, you can email us personally. Any one of the staff members, you can grab one of the ushers and just say, I got some questions I want to ask. I'd love to meet you personally. But what we want to do is we want to present an opportunity for us to engage with what God is on the brink of doing. And that excites me. Because I've been praying for a long time for the Spirit of God to move in a powerful way. And I believe a new year gives us new opportunities. This year, we have a bunch of new uh, programs. We have a bunch of new ministries that we're starting. One of the ones that will start this Wednesday. And I encourage you for this because my heart is to have people connected to one another. To people from move, to move from isolation 
to community. And this Wednesday, what I'm going to be doing is a training of what we're calling tag groups. Now, you might have been hearing me kind of soft launch this, but basically what tag groups are, many of you might know, they're small groups. What small groups are, if you've never heard that in the life of a church, they're groups that come together for several reasons. They come together for community, they come together for fellowship, and they come together for discipleship. And what we're hoping to do is to launch these tag groups in February where groups of people will get together and what they'll do is they'll allow themselves to, to bi-weekly meet and, and study scripture, to fellowship, maybe to break bread together. But an opportunity for us to have small pockets of revival, if you would, where people are accountable to one another, where people are discussing the things, the great and mighty things that God are doing in their lives. This morning we had a men's group ministry meeting, and I was able to share how blessed I am. Every Tuesday morning at 6.30 I come, and I meet a small group of men here. And we pray, and uh, uh, throughout the last couple of months, it's been awesome to just hear how I've been blessed by things that I pray for, that they ask me, how are those things going? Or I've been able to ask them, how are things going? And things that we're praying for, and things that we're believing for. Why? Because there's power in small groups, amen? There's power when we get together and we explain those things. And so these tag groups are going to be catalysts for us to start groups. And many of you in here, God's calling you to be a leader, to lead a group, to say, you know what? I want to lead a married couples group. I want to lead a men's group. I want to lead a women's group. I want to be a part of a women's group. I want to be a part of a men's group. I want to be a part of uh, whatever it is that your demographic falls in. I want you to come this Wednesday at 630 and hear what God's put upon my heart for this vision. Because a vision is great, but if the people don't get along, it's not going to happen. Amen? And so we got a desire to be a part. Our, our hopes is that these groups will meet bi-weekly for fellowship, for community. And they'll meet for discipleship, studying, growing together in God's Word. I spoke a little bit earlier about the men's ministry. You know, I believe that the men are called to lead in the church. Scripture tells us that. It says, be, be, uh, in 1 Corinthians, it says, uh, be strong, act like men. And I want to share from my heart this morning that I desire to see a strong men's ministry come out of our church. A men's ministry that will lead a men's ministry that will serve. A men's ministry where men will get together and they'll open up their hearts to each other. They'll pray for one another. They'll disciple one another. They'll believe for one another. And Mike Solon's done a great job here at uh, leading that campaign. But we need more men to get involved. We need more men who will come and will step up and say, I will help develop this type of community within the church. And we're structuring and we're formatting and we're planning and we're doing all of those. And at the end of the service... What I want you to do, if you're a man in here, and you, if you haven't had the opportunity to fill out a questionnaire, there's a box in the back. All we're asking you to do, step one, is to fill out the information so we can sell our vision to you, so we can give you what the Lord's put upon our heart. And then join us in this planning phase so that we can reach more men for the kingdom of God. Now, women in this group, if your men refuse to do it, my charge to you is to fill it out for them. So that we can contact them and we can reach them and we can make them in a part of this community because I believe that there are people in here who God is wanting to use that he's wanting to desire. You say to yourself, what are the other things that are new? Next week, Pastor Craig is going to come and he's going to give his vision for the children's ministry. He's going to talk to us out of the Bible. But after the service, he's going to hold a meeting for those of you who are interested in serving in children's ministry. And I submit my goals to the board every single year. And one of the top goals that I have for this year is to provide a quality kids program where, people, where kids are being discipled, where they're being mentored, where they're being trained up, and where they're being used for their gifts now. We don't believe in this church that kids have to wait till they're grown up to serve the Lord. Amen? 
But God has giftings inside of them now. And so he's going to share that opportunity. And what you're also going to be able to do next week is this, is you are going to be able to buy, I don't know if Trisha's here, but Trisha makes some of the greatest tamales ever made. They will serve those tamales in heaven, I promise you. If not, I'll request them. But you'll be able to buy those. Uh, what it will do is it'll go to fund, uh, uh, it will, it'll be a, a fundraiser, if you would, for their breakaway retreat because he's going to be taking the kids away. And I went last year on this retreat and they spend so much time just pouring into these kids their destiny, their purpose right now. Because listen, parents, if you don't plant those seeds of God into your children, the world will definitely plant their seeds into your children. So if you don't think church is an important priority, there are studies that show that children are actually better even academically when they have an active church life. But parents, we're called to do this. Number one, we're called to demonstrate it. You can't just drop your kids off and not come. It doesn't make any sense. It's showing a confusing thing to your child. But number two, what you have to do is you have to help them make it a priority for them. You have to say that church, when we gather together, when we worship, when we're discipling together, when we're uh, uh, breaking bread, when we're fellowshipping together, that these are opportunities for us to grow together in the kingdom. And I don't know about you in the new year, but that's what I want for my church. I want us to grow in community. I want us to grow in fellowship. I want us to grow in discipleship and to see people getting saved and discipled to Christ-like maturity. So my heart is let's create a new format on a Sunday morning where we gather together to allow people to respond. But that's not the only opportunity for you to respond. Man, this past Wednesday, it was awesome. We had a worship service. And I tell you, if we, didn't, if we wanted to, we probably could have went to 1, 2 in the morning. The Spirit of God was so thick in this place. And many of you missed those opportunities, man. And I'll tell you, there's no way you didn't. I just, at one point, I just sat in the seats and I just went, God, you're so good. You're about to do something. And I left re-energized for my week and I left confident in the spirit that God is about to break something in this church. And I left saying, God, you're about to break something in the lives of your people. But what we have to do is we have to prioritize that. The first Wednesday of every month, I gather with my church and I pray and I seek the face of God. I join a group because why? I want to grow in my faith in God. I serve in my church. Why? Because I want to, I want to grow. I go on a missions trip following the service here this morning. We're going to have a missions trip meeting. We're going to Haiti. We're believing for it. There's a ton of information we're going to give about that. And you know what? God's calling some of you. He's challenging some of you to go on that trip. You might say to yourself, well, I don't have the money to go. Don't worry about the money. Never let the money get in the way of what God wants to do. We step out in faith and we let God do the rest. So you come to that meeting. You sit with us, hear about the vision. If you have young people in this room and then they haven't gone on a missions trip yet, it's vital, it's important, it's enriching for kids to go on there. We're going to be working, we're going to be helping rebuild an entire village, but we're also going to be working in orphanages there. And so we need people who are skilled handymen. We need people who are good with children. We need people who will come and just say, you know what? I want to be used to take the gospel to a place that is absolutely devastated. Absolutely devastated. And we as a little church can come and make a difference in the life of God's people. So my challenge to you is to embrace new things this year. My challenge to you this morning is find out where you belong in the life of this church, in this community. I tell you what, if you have a vision of something you believe God's calling you to do, you just call me up and say, I'd like to meet with you, something God's put on my heart. We'll get you plugged in. We'll figure something out. 
But there are multiple opportunities for us to get involved, and I'm excited about every one of them because all of them are about getting and responding to the Holy Spirit. Amen? I'll smack someone near you and say he's talking to you. Come on, right now. No, don't, don't. I'm kidding. Some of you are waiting for that response. But this morning, I want to continue. As we open God's Word this morning, I want to continue on our series about anchor. Anchoring our faith, faith that lasts, faith that's true. And many of us here this morning, we might need some stability in our life. Don't raise your hand, but if, but if that's you, you, this message is going to speak to you. And I want to talk about anchoring our faith. And I want to tell you something on the front end. Listen, I've, uh, I grew up in the church where acronyms were key for every single, like you weren't a good pastor if you didn't use like an acronym every single month. At least once a month. And so this morning, I'm going to use an acronym. I typically don't. But I want us to lay out a foundation of truly what does an anchor look like in our faith? How is it that we can be still amidst the storms? How is it that we can stand firm when things come against us? But there are biblical truths that we have to understand. There are biblical truths that we have to understand about God before we can anchor ourselves in God. Amen? There are things that we have to understand and we have to fully commit to to say, you know what? It doesn't matter the wind or the waves. It just matters that my faith rests in God. And it rests in knowing who he is and it rests in knowing it. So we're going to examine that a little bit here this morning. And I think if we were to start with the first A, the first thing that pops into my mind is assurance. Say that with me, assurance. Now assurance is knowing beyond a doubt Knowing absolutely beyond a doubt that you have a plan, that you have a place, that you have a purpose. In Christianity, in our church, in churches all around the world, there is the assurance of salvation. Knowing that the Bible says, when I receive Jesus into my heart, that I am assured of heaven. And that he has a plan for my life. And my job now is, as Jesus said, is to die to myself. And to pick up my cross and to follow Jesus. And to find out what it is that perfect plan is for my life. And we see assurances all around us, right? Because assurance of our salvation gives us a confidence in the Spirit. Amen? It gives us a confidence in the Spirit. A couple years ago, I took my, my family to Disney World. <clears throat> now, now, Disney World is an awesome place. And Disney World has done this incredible thing where they call it the Fast Pass. How many of you have experienced the Fast Pass? The Fast Pass is like, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like heaven, right? Because the Fast Pass puts you for a price at a different place than all of us scrubs that have to wait in line for three hours just to hear, there's a world of fun, there's a dun dun. You go, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill this. I'm going to kill Snow White. Like, you know, if that woman asks me, you want an apple one more time, I'm going to kick a baby. I don't know. Like, because it just rings in your head. It just rings over and over in your head. You're sitting there and you're listening to the music. But see, the Fast Pass people, People, they have this little magical card, right? Disney is the magic kingdom. When we went, I went with a pocket full of money and I left with none of it. It was magic, right? It was amazing. <clears throat> and the Fast Pass is a ticket that you get to look down upon all of us scr- scrubs and just get in and boop, click your ticket and you get to go on the ride. If you've ever been uh, on an airplane before and if you've ever traveled, you know the preferred seating. Oh, now we're, we're, we're now seating preferred seating. And these people walk with this arrogance as they look down on you because you're row Z59 in the very, very back. Don't tell me you didn't judge those people. Come on. You go, Why didn't I spend the extra 50 bucks? <clears throat> 
And that's the assurance kind of where we look at. And as Christians, what we are able to walk is not in a prideful and a very, very humble thing, knowing that it's not anything that we do upon ourselves. But in reverence of what Christ has done for us, but we are able to walk it into assurance that we are saved, that we are known by a loving God, that we are loved by him, that heaven is our destiny, and we have a plan and a purpose in this life. In the book of... uh, if we look into our scripture in 1 John chapter 3, 16, it says this, but, we, but this we know love. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay our, out our lives for our brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in needs and shut, uh, shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure the hearts before him. For if our, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are play, pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has given us Commandment. Now, the first part of that scripture says this, by this we know because he laid down his life for us. It kind of lays the framework for it. We are assured of our salvation. We are anchored in our faith because if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior, we know he has a plan for us. We know he has a purpose for us. We know that he will see us through. Why? Because last week we talked about resting on the promises of God. Resting on the everlasting promises of God. So we are assured of God's plan for our lives. Now, if we don't know him, we're not assured of this. If we don't understand him, then we're not assured of him. The N. If we look at N in the word anchor, never failing. Say that with me this morning, never failing. But first, we must know Jesus. You and I, we have to know Christ, who he is. We have to understand because, I mean, we have to really, really know who he is. Really know. Now, there's a difference between knowing and really knowing. You know, my best friend and I, when we grew up, there was this thing that we can do where we would be able to finish each other's sentences. We could finish each other's thoughts. My wife and I, we know exactly what we're thinking before the other person thinks it. It's a beautiful thing. Now, there's a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing of Jesus. Because when we know Of Jesus, we go, he was a good man, he was a prophet, many other religions say that. But when we know Jesus, we know that his love is never failing. It's never failing. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He's constant. That he never changes. What doesn't change about Jesus? His character. His character never changes. His purity, it never changes. His holiness, it never changes. His passions, they never change. His consistency to who he is, it never changes. His love never changes. It never fails. His prophecy and his promises, they never change. They never fail. His desire and his ability to help those in need, what do they do? They never fail. They're consistent with their. And what happens is this is when we don't understand that his love never fails, what we do is we move from a place of faith and we move into a place of fear. 
We move into a place where we're scared. And I want to tell you something, that faith and fear cannot exist together. Faith is described in Hebrews chapter 11 as being certain of what we do not see. It's an absolute truth that God is constantly working behind the scenes of our lives, in every area of our lives. And when there's no tangible evidence to support it, guess what? We anchor our faith in knowing that he knows everything. That you and I, what we're able to say is, I don't need to see it to believe it. I just need to know it in my heart. Why? Because he never changes. Because his word says that he hears my thoughts. That he knows the numbers of hair on my head. That he knows my deepest cries even before I cry it out. On the other hand, fear. Fear is simply stated as weak belief in some definitions, in some dictionaries. If I walk in a constant spirit of fear, what I have is I have a weak faith. I have a weak faith to not believe that God is moving. And our deliverance from fear and worry is based on one thing. It's based on faith that a God knows me. He knows my name. He knows my trials. In Ephesians 2, 8, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through what? Oh, my Lord. By grace you have been saved through what? And that not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not the works, least anyone should boast. You see what it puts it in there? It puts it and says it's, faith is not something that we say we do within ourselves. It's something that God gives us. God gives us an incredible, immeasurable amount of faith. And it's, desire, it's described as a fruit or a characteristic which is, which is produced in our life through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2, uh, 5, 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And the Christian's faith is a constant. It is a consistent assurance in a God who loves us, who knows our thoughts, and who, comp- uh, and, and who understands our deepest needs in this life. Do you understand that God understands every need that you have in your life? Do you believe that God understands every deepest need in your life? If we do, our faith increases. We move from fear and we move into a place of faith. It's confident. It's faith knowing that he never fails. History reveals the smartest people of men had their failures. Most of the 1,093 inventions of Thomas Edison were failures. Albert Einstein failed his entrance exams when attempting to enter his university. Henry Ford failed to put a reverse gear in his first car. Abraham Lincoln was defeated seven times while running for various political offices. What we see here is men will fail. What we see is if we're running on our own accord, we will fail. The Bible even reveals that man at his best has failed. That man at his best has failed. (laughs) Even in the season of innocence, Adam and Eve failed in the Garden of Eden. Righteous Noah Righteous Noah gave way to fleshly tendencies after the flood. Abraham, known for his great faith, a man of faith, became prey to unbelief in a time of famine. Moses, Moses, the meekest of men, he gave way to anger and to wrath. David, David known as a man after God's own heart. He broke God's heart with an adulterous relationship. When we run on our own church, we fail. But we run on the Spirit and we thrive. When we run in the presence on the faith and what God can do, we thrive. When we look to God, what we're not confronted with is with any failure at any point. 
Why? Because he's the God who never fails. He never fails because he is totally perfect. As Jesus taught his disciples, your father which is in heaven is perfect. He said it, Matthew 5, 48. So we know in our faith that, 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 that he never fails, that he constantly works. God never fails in helping his people. In Deuteronomy 31, 6, it says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And the emphasis of this scripture is given to Moses' final sermon. Recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, it's amongst his last words. And what it is, is it's a comforting exhortation. We see that he helps his people be faithful. We see that he is the strength through us. When he says, be strong and of good courage, what does it call you and I to do? It calls you and I to have utter dependence. Listen to me. Utter dependence on a never-failing God. To examine our hearts that we say, my dependence is not in myself and it's not in man. It's not in my job. It's not in this. My dependence is upon God who creates the character within me. And what God will do in his sovereignty is this. He will help you overcome fear. Many of you are worried about the next week, the next month, maybe the next year, maybe the next paycheck. But it's, it's doubly emphasized in the phrase, fear not. Be afraid of them. These words remind us that there is no cause. Listen to me. There's no cause to fear. There is no right purpose to fear. But what we do is we call out to God and say, God, help me of my fear. God, resurrect me from this place of fear and move me to a place of faith. In other verses in context, as we look at God never failing, and I want to spend a little bit more time on this, and I want to reiterate what I talked about a little bit last week, but God never fails in keeping his promises. If you look at a correlation between Moses and Joshua, whereas Moses' statement was given in regarding to God's faithfulness in the future, Joshua has a little bit of a different aspect. Joshua reflects upon God's faithfulness in the past. When I work with my staff, I always tell them when we have wins, man, keep these close to your heart because sometimes the seasons of ministry are so long that we want to hold this near to our heart. If I have a wonderful counseling session with someone and we see God break through, man, I hold that near to my heart because I know that God is good and sovereign and he could do it at any particular point. And Joshua takes this and he challenges the people on reflecting upon the past of God's faithfulness. In Joshua 23, 14, it says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord God spoke concerning you. Thank you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. You see, Joshua was facing an enormous task. And in that enormous task, he didn't have any answers right away. But what he was able to do is to reflect it on the goodness of God. I love prayer. Man, I love prayer. Prayer is one of the strongest disciplines in my life. I pray a lot. And I don't say that to boast, but I say I pray a lot because I need a lot of forgiveness. Anybody in that camp with me? Don't raise your hand. People will judge you. Trust me. I do. I do. Listen, I'm, tra I'm transparent. I need to become right before the Lord. I need to make sure my thoughts and my, hearts aren't, uh, my heart is not self-serving, but that God knows the desires of my heart and that he will purify my heart continually. And when I come before prayer, when I don't have any answers, one of the things, if you spend time in prayer with me, you'll notice this about, I do this all the time. I open up prayers by saying one declaration, God, you are good. 
God, you're so good. Even when I don't know the answers to something, what I want God to see is my heart is to always define him as good. And I've been under a lot of pressure situations in my life in the past. I've been in those fear categories with you. I've worried about my next paycheck. I've worried about how I'm going to feed my family. I've worried about the next place in ministry or God's calling upon my life. But I've always wanted to be a person before God that says, God, you're good. And if I can't think of anything good in the present, and if I can't see anything good in the future, I want to say, God, you're good because I know what he's done in my past. He rescued me, man. He went to the cross for me. He found, he found me worthy enough to offer himself as a living sacrifice to me. For me so I can spend all of eternity with him. And that allows me to declare every single day of my life, God, you're a good God. God, you work in spite of me. And so we look to our past. Another thing that moves us from fear to faith is God, God will constantly do what he says he will do. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, it says, He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. He who we call faithful, moving from fear to faith. I want to tell you something. If he called you to something, he will see you through that very thing. If he calls you to it, he will see you through it. He is faithful. He will completely do what he says we will do. What I think and what I found out through my many years of ministry as many of us don't ask God what he's about to do. We don't stop and go, God, what are you about to do in my life? That's what I'm asking for our church. God, what are you about to do in our church? And what I want to do is I want to start listening better. It's one of my goals in this new year. I want to listen better. I've been talking to people in groups, telling them I sit in silence before God because I want to hear his voice. I want to hear the very thing that he has for my life, for this church, for your life. Because I know in my heart that I can declare that God never fails in advancing his promises or his purposes. That God will advance his purposes even in spite of me. But I want to be on the same path with him. If we look at another man, we look at David, he says to Solomon this, Be strong and of good courage. Or some of your scriptures might say of good faith and do it. Do not fear, do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Now this story, it helps us realize something fresh. After explaining to the princes, the captains, and the various officials that in Israel that Solomon, David's son, would build the house of God that he himself hoped to build. David had wanted to build this house for God. And God said, no, you're not going to build it. Your son's going to build it for me. The realizing fresh truth that we find is that his love is never ending, that he will fulfill that promise. Now, he might not fulfill it the way you want to. You might be praying for your children. You might be praying for a spouse. You might be praying for, for, for someone to come to know the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, is you might not be a big part of that plan as much as you want. But see, faith, what it does and where it makes us uncomfortable is we realize that his purposes are his purposes. Our prayers are our prayers, but his purposes are his purpose. The whole goal is to make sure that God does it as God sees fit, as God desires to do. And so what I have to do is I have to be comfortable. I have three children. I have plans and purposes that I bring before the Lord for my children. What I have to get comfortable is this. I might not be as big a part of that plan as God wants me to be. I know that the Bible tells me that there's certain things that all of us as fathers, we're called to do. 
That's the universal promise that God has for all dads in this room. But there are specific, unique promises for my children that God wants to accomplish. And just like David, he so desperately wanted to build a house that served the Lord. And God looked at him and said, no, your son will. And David, out of his courage, said, go. God will be with you. Moses never saw the promised land. And in our estimation, we would say that, man, he deserved to see the promised land. But God said, no, you won't. And see, Moses and David, they both had decisions to make. Would they be bitter at God? Would they be angry at God? Would they be frustrated at God? Or would they rely on their faith in God? And so we have to move to be anchored. Church, listen to me. You've got to move from fear to faith. A deeper faith, knowing his plans and his purpose will be accomplished because he's sovereign, he's true, and he's mighty. The next one is comforter. The idea of comforter implies two parties, one who gives the comfort and one who receives it, but it also implies a need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3-5, through 5, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. How does God comfort us? God comforts us through his Holy Spirit. And the scripture here tells us that we are to receive comfort so that at times God calls us to, to give comfort. We're prepared to give that comfort through his Holy Spirit. The word used there is parakletos, and it means comforter. And it means counselor or helper in different translation. And it's how Jesus keeps his promise to always be with us. To always comfort us. One meaning of the Greek root word, parakletos, is close beside. I love that. Listen, you're going through something here. God wants to comfort you. Do not resist the comforting of the Holy Spirit in your life. All three persons of the Trinity want to comfort you through whatever it is you're going. And when you feel, listen to me very carefully, when you feel the comfort of God, and you're not going to live in any kind of fear. You're going to live in faith. You're going to know it. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, it says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's why I desire for us to respond to the Holy Spirit because some of you, you need comfort in your life. Some of you I've met with and your stories break my heart. And I put them in my prayer journal and I pray for them constantly. And the only thing that I can pray for is, God, this is bigger than any man will bring any comfort. Only your Holy Spirit can bring the comfort. And I pray over those things and I say, Lord, bring them comfort. We move from when we need comfort to we move to hope. The H. Hope is a funny thing. Fishermen tend to be optimists. If you're a fisherman in here, and there's a story, it says a guy asked his neighbor how the fishing was going. The man responded to him. He said, better. He said, last week I went out for four hours and I didn't catch a thing. He says, yesterday I got the same result in only three hours. The anchor of hope becomes a Christian symbol in our life. Do you know that the anchor was a symbol of Christianity before the cross was? It was the hope and what, we did, what, what, what they would do in Roman times is they would have an anchor to, 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 to be able to see who was, who were the people of faith. And then later on, as Constantine came, he changed it to the cross. But biblical hope, listen to me, biblical hope is optimistic. 
Listen to me. Some of us go to the Bible and we go to the Bible and we come away with dread and worry and fear and no answers. But listen, biblical hope is different than just hope. It's different than just chance. <clears throat> it's different than just, well, we'll see if something happens. But biblical hope, it's the importance of getting into our word because when we have biblical hope, what we do is we move from just a, uh, a happen chance like this might happen to an optimistic faith going, I know God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I know that God is going to answer me. Why? Because Romans 15 says this, Now may the God of hope, he's a God of hope, fill you with all, look at, the, look at the characteristics of biblical hope. May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in what? Believing. I love that. That's power right there. You should circle that. You should write it down. You should memorize that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of what? Very good. Everybody gets an A on that one. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we serve a God of hope, and it brings out the characteristics of joy and peace in what? In believing. You need a stronger anchor to hold you through tough times. We have a hope, a hope that is so secure in us. The last two are vitally important to our faith. The things that I pray God for strength for every single day of my life, and that's being an overcomer. The overcomer in what? Whatever it is that you're dealing with. That very thing that you know you're struggling with, with God. John 5, 4 through 5, it says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But who, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to be an overcomer this morning. You need to be somebody who overcomes that very thing. Overcomers are followers of Christ who successfully resist the power and temptation of the world, of its system. It says that we don't have to conform to this world, that we can live upon our faith. He or she does not turn away when times get difficult. They don't run away from God. What they do is they become an overcomer by running to God, by chasing Him, that the joy is in the chase. That the promises that we rest upon our God are so important. The Greek word most often translated overcomer, it comes from a word. You may not know this. It comes from the word Nike. Just do it. And it sounds so simple, right? We all become an overcomer. Well, Nike, just do it, right? And it comes from that key word, understanding this. In the Strong's Concordance, it defines it as this. To carry off with victory. To say to ourselves, I will be an overcomer in this area of our life. Jesus, or James, the book of James tells us this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So to be anchors in our faith, to have anchors of stability in our life, you and I, we have to pray that God would give us the strength by his Holy Spirit to be overcomers. But the desires of the flesh, of the wrong motives, of the wrong focus is that we become true overcomers. And the final letter in our acronym, I have two within there. The letter R, anchor. The letter R stands for two things as the ushers prepare. I want to give you a chance to practice this because I think there are two important things. I've talked about one of them this morning. But the opportunity to respond. What happens with our lives is this. 
We have a hard time responding because we're afraid of things. We're afraid that people will judge us. We're afraid that people will look down upon us, that they'll think certain things. We're afraid what God will ask of us as the ushers come forward. But I want to give you an opportunity for you to respond in your giving this morning. Because when we give to the work of the Lord, when we give of our worship, listen, it's not just the money, but when we give of our praise, when we give of our all, when we declare unto God, listen, this, this is my response to your goodness. This is my response to your faithfulness. This is the opportunity for me to respond. And, and, and giving monetarily is one way we respond. Giving our lives is another way to respond. As the ushers pass the bucket, I want you to just pray, God, how would you call me to respond this morning for the work of your kingdom? And in a moment, we're going to ask you to respond in worship as well. Because for me, I want to live a life that is responsive to God's movings. Amen? Okay, five of us are really wanting to respond to God. I want to move. I want to live a life that responds to the voice of God. Amen? That responds to the opportunities of God. Amen? That responds to the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray as each person, as we would prepare for a time to respond through our giving, to respond to our worship, to respond with our lives that come openly before you and say, God, it's yours. You're a good God. You're a good God. We are assured that you're a good God. Your promises are eternal forever. Play your breath through people. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers pass the bucket, I want to talk of one other thing that I pray constantly for my church. And I probably pray this for my church because I struggle with it myself, if I'm being honest. One of the things that make our faith stronger and give us the spiritual anchor for us to hold on to is this. And many of you, you've heard me talk about it from here. I think the Northeast itself has a struggle with this. It's rest. Listen to me, rest. I've talked to you about it. I'm doing these, these disciplines in my life. I'm finding secret places to go to. And I'm tempted to always bring my electronic device and play worship and to do all that. And I'm tempted to bring my faithful Bible, which if you haven't noticed, I got a new fresh coat of duct tape on her for the new year. I've had this Bible longer than I've had my wife. I'll tell you what. Listen to me. These moments of solitude before God, man, are so powerful for me. I'm not a big napper. Maybe some of you are big nappers. I literally will close my eyes in three minutes, wake up, and I'm ready to take on the world. I have a hard time standing still. I have a hard time not wanting. I drive my wife nuts. Pray for her. <laughs> but I tell you, in these disciplines, in these secret moments that nobody knows what I'm doing, I just go. I find a secluded spot where no one's there. And I do this. I think the action I do the most is I just make sure I breathe. And I stop and I listen. And in my heart, I just say, God, I rest in you. I relax in you. It anchors, listen to me, it anchors my soul. It anchors, it gives me hope. I don't know the answer. It gives me peace in my heart. And I'm not sure, not sure where God's going to go. The scripture tells us to remember the Sabbath, the time to rest, the time to rest. And rest has been something since the beginning. 
since the beginning of creation. As Jesus created the word of the world, it says on the seventh day, he what? He rested. Some of you need to rest. You need to take the discipline of rest. Why is church important? Why do I have to go to church all the time? Because I think if church gives you the discipline to say, that's when I just rest. I hear the word of God. I go to the heart of God. I rest before God. I allow his word to speak into me. I worship my God and declare he's a good God. Because listen to me, church, he is a good God. He's a good God. Stand with me if you would this morning. Stand all over this place. What I want to do is I want to provide an atmosphere for you to respond as well. You need an anchor in your life. Here's all I want you to do in a very non-threatening way. I really believe, I really believe in the importance to take a step towards God. I said this last week, you take one step towards God, he'll take two, three, even five steps right back towards you. And for some of you this morning, you need to respond to God. You need to come to the altar and just as a physical step, God, you don't have to tell anybody what it is that you're stepping him towards him. What we do have is we have prayer partners. They're just going to come before those of you who step up here. They're just going to lay their hands on your back, as scripture calls us to do. And they're just going to believe with you. They're going to pray a prayer of believing over you. So I'm going to start praying. Here's what I want you to do. If you need an anchor, you need more security in your life. You need more assurance in your life. You need more rest in your life. You need more hope in your life. What I want you to do is I pray. I want you to just make your way forward to the altar. If you want to kneel here, if you want to just stand here, but do me a favor. Don't miss an opportunity to respond. If you say to yourself this morning, I don't have that assurance of salvation, I want you to make your way. And when somebody lays their hand on you, I want you to just turn around to them and say, I need to accept Jesus into my heart. They're going to pray with you. A short prayer. And we want to find a way to help you on your journey. So as I pray, I pray that we as a church will respond to the Spirit, the Perikletos of God. I want you to make your way on up here. And let's worship for a little while longer together. Father, I pray we would respond as your church to your spirit. Father, this is our opportunity to step towards you and to allow your spirit to do this work. As we worship you now in spirit and in truth, I pray that you would move in the lives of these people who are taking a step towards you, Father, and that you would move mightily in their lives. Father, we pray that our hope relies in you, our assurance lies in you, Father, that, that, that we move from faith to fear and we will sense your presence in this place. In Jesus' mighty name I pray.